the galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Thought that was after, like, long after they've been on, the, uh, on Terra instead of, uh, you know, after they got kicked off Mars. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to listen to Binary Succession again. That's a good question. Yeah, it'd definitely be worth looking into. Because if it is, like, I got the impression Binary Succession was kind of right after Mechanicum, like, not long after that that book took place. I gotcha. But if it's further along... I mean, Zagreus Kane is, is definitely the key because he's in Binary Succession and he comes in at the very end when they're, when Malkador is sitting on the, the, the Council of Terra and the fucking uh, princeps of the Titan Legions basically have, like, the Imperator, like, guns down, you know, like... <laughs> That was, know, that was the best scene. It's <laughs> like, like, we're going to make a call here, right, guys? <laughs> right? And see, this is why I maintain that the the Mechanicum and the Collegia Titanica totally could have crushed the Emperor day one. But they didn't. They made an alliance instead because they needed navigators. Yeah, I don't know, though. Like, it's... It's one of those interesting, like, equations of warfare and, like, how good can your, like, tanks, quote-unquote, be to make up for the fact that your infantry is trash? Because, like, compared to Astartes, even Skitari aren't going to get the job done. And if you have uns- unsupported, like, heavy armor, that's never gone well. This is true. But, I mean, what's a custodian going to do when... A Titan can like level his entire like city and I, I think I think the, the Titan Legions could have destroyed the galaxy, but they couldn't have united it. Like you needed the the Primarchs and the Adeptus. Yeah, they they to, don't have the, the boots yeah. on the ground quality to really hold a place. Yeah, but I mean the entire time during that whole age of darkness, the Mechanicum's still flying around conquering star systems. Hey, that's a that's a stretch. Because <laughs> during the Age of Darkness, they're like sending fleets into the void, but that's not to say that they're in contact with much of anything. I mean, they got guys to burn. They do, but like throwing like fleets into the void in the hopes that they'll settle somewhere isn't the same thing as like Great Crusade ruling the galaxy type stuff. It, granted, they could have possibly done that. The part of my thinking is, okay, so Age of Darkness, they just start throwing, you know, fleets into the void, you know, praise the Omnissiah, we'll see you guys someday. Someday. Uh, and when it, like, when the warp storms blew out, I don't think they were prepared for that. So they've been putting all of their resources into just, like, chucking fleets into the void. They didn't have anything ready for now let's go and, like, reunify all of these things. And that's one of the reasons I think they joined up with the Emperor, because he'd already had that planned out. Oh, yeah, because they had no idea what to do about navigators. 
They were fucking clueless. Ah. Hello and welcome <laughs> to the Remembrances Retreat. I'm Jesse and joined with Austin, Dave, and Jason. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Okay, awesome. What's up, guys? Fantastic. All right, well, uh, we'll roll right along and see what everyone's been up to this week. Austin, what have you been up to hobby-wise this week? Uh, I both got and painted a tank, which was very exciting. What kind of tank? tank? Oh, it was one of those lovely uh, Demios Vindicator laser destroyers. So pretty. Uh, Yeah, I... And Lord knows, I don't think on the battlefield... It's like a crazily effective tank. But I have a soft Spartan, soft spot in my heart for tank destroyers. Sure. And it seems like a very kind of space wolfy tank to me. Um, not in the like traditional drunken brawler sense, but, a, <laughs> but in like them as sort of predators. Mm-hmm. That's what a tank destroyer is. It stalks something mm-hmm. and it lines up the shot and it blows you straight to hell. Um, and I normally hate painting tanks, uh, which is why this is the only one in the army besides my <laughs> rogue trader era predator. Um, but yeah, I got this one done in like two, uh, two, three hours. That was that a blast. Now, how'd you uh, paint it? Did you uh, rattle can some of the gray that you're used to with your space wolves or? Oh yeah, I, I do. I did my standard cheating, uh, rattle can gray black wash over the whole thing, um, accent points in red, uh, you know, do all the metal bits and all that sort of stuff. So it goes quick. Cool stuff. Oh, I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really pretty. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Just got to think of a suitable name for her, but she's got time. Oh yeah. I'm sure you'll think of something. Very cool. Dave, what have you been up to this week? Um, I've been uh, getting some games and got a game of uh, Battlefleet Heresy against Austin. That was fun. We're uh, we're getting pretty close to the end of the campaign, I think, and um, definitely put some uh, put some that, miles in. Is that the Eleanor campaign you guys are playing? Yeah, yeah, it's like our version of. Man, I thought of, you guys were finishing up that campaign weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so did we, I think. <laughs> It could have been finished this week if somebody hadn't taken Olinor from me. Ooh. <clears throat> yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky on a uh, uh, planetary assault mission. So I brought a um, uh, completely Space Marine heavy fleet. So we played at just under 1,000 points. I brought a battle barge and three strike cruisers. That was it. Um, my strike cruisers were upgraded to have two shields, which everybody should always do um, 100% of the time. And it's only like 15 points, I think, to buy the extra shield. Maybe more than that, but I think it's 15 points. So definitely worth it. And Planetary Assault is an interesting mission to play because if you have Space Marines and you get within the low orbit part of the planet, uh, you essentially score double points every turn because of bombardment cannons and Space Marines. So like I did not know this before the game started just so like people don't think I'm a completely, you know, whack uh, player. <laughs> um, we, we, I, I chose my fleet. We rolled it up and uh, it was, it was sort of perfect timing. And I feel bad because again, like Austin had 
fucking better tactics, uh, a better plan and better strategy. And like, I just, I fucking plowed through. I took yep. my hits and uh, I got to the planet, but so it, was really, sometimes. it was, it was really cool because we used some new uh, ordinance rules. So we used some experimental rules for StrikeCraft, and it made the game just so much more dynamic. So if I don't want to go too too far down to the rabbit hole in Battlefleet uh, Gothic, but I think there are a lot of people out there that are getting into it and, and play. So if you want to check these rules out, uh, we'll we'll probably throw them up on the the forum somewhere. Um, uh, it's actually these are from Warp Rift, I think thirty two or thirty three. Uh, Warp Rift, for those of you that don't know, after BFG kind of got passed off uh, to the High Admiralty, these guys started doing mag- uh, an online magazine with rules and ships and missions and stuff like that. Um, and I finally found a link somewhere uh, and discovered these super cool new attack craft rules we were trying out. Oh, very cool. Well, there you go. What was, yeah, the, were, what was the name of that again? Uh, the magazine is Warp Rift. Uh, it's gotcha. online. Like if you just type in BFG Warp Rift into Google, I'm sure it'll come up. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, so the campaign's pretty close to to ending, and I think we're going to reboot it. Um, well, not reboot this campaign, but we're going to get another one started. Um, I mean, as soon as this one's over, we're just a you know anybody who wants can jump in. So. Cool expect, expect all of you guys to uh, fucking show up with your fleets. Yeah, I'm staring at my little box of random BFG for ships that I have no idea what they do, and maybe I'll get there one day. <laughs> Gonna be doing a demo game with Bo Tuesday. You can swing on by. Well, we'll see. I get home so late, but yeah, if I got time, I'll see. I personally, I got some whole bunch of stuff to do this week. If I'll just jump in, Jason, what I've been up to, I've been painting up a Zone Mortalis board for this weekend's uh, event over at Battlegrounds. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, it's going to be a marathon every home, every night coming home and just slamming down as many tiles and terrain as I can. But I'm in good shape. I've got all my uh, tiles base coated, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, with an airbrush, just go through, highlight a few things, make a few lights, Go to the next tile. It's it's been it's been going pretty quick. Are you actually putting the LED lights in that? No, 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 no. Right now, I'm just um, airbrushing some uh, OEL effects or OSL. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, right now, I might change up a little bit because I'm looking at it. It kind of looks like a the Death Star computer board right now. <laughs> so I might I might change tactics as far as that goes, but we'll see how it goes. I love that board, Jesse, because oh, yeah. when you guys were showing me what, like, the customizable, the stuff that you can do and the magnets that are built into that, what a, that's fucking beautiful, man. Yeah, we, um, it was a Kickstarter a few years ago, and we finally just got around to actually building it up. It was a Maze of the Dead, which I believe, I'll get the website for it, but if you uh, Google search Maze of the Dead, you'll come up with this uh, guy's website. He's got all sorts of very good MDF terrain, and the Maze of the Dead has been pretty awesome to build and put together and looking forward to seeing it out on the table. So that's what I've been up to. Right on. Yeah. What have you been up to, Jason? Uh, let's see here. Uh, I also am furiously hammering stuff out for the night. But uh, in my case, I am building a whole, well, not building, a, fair enough, uh, Patrick actually built pretty much all of the stuff I am furiously painting right now. 
we have two Land Raider Proteuses and about 30 of these little Eisenkern Valkyr dudes. Uh-huh. Uh, survivors of the Dark Age militia. So uh, I am painting them as we are, uh, as we're recording right now. And uh, I'm using that scheme uh, Will came up with, with the black, bronze, and red for the black shields, like, yeah. moons ago. And yeah, that's a fun scheme. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. It's really simple, but it looks pretty striking when you have 80 dudes on the field, which I'm probably going to. Huh. That's pretty much uh, the long and short of all I've been up to. Good stuff. All right, with that being said, now we've all mentioned what we've been up to. Let's, uh, before we get into Heresy Grad School this week, I think we need to talk about uh, Warhammer Fest. Yeah, we do. Because there's a few, uh, there's a few uh, things going on this weekend that are pretty <laughs> massive and awesome to see. None, uh, none the least being Adeptus Titanicus, the Horus Heresy. Man, so much goodness. Right? How, how often do they do Warhammer Weekenders? Is Warhammer Fest the same thing as a Weekender? Uh, no, it's, it's a different thing. I really don't know the process of how often they come out, but it feels like there's like three major, three, well, probably more than that, because they also have the Horus Heresy Weekender, the Black Library Weekender. I guess, do they have a Warhammer Weekender and a Warhammer Fest? I'm not sure. They might have. I mean, how long ago if, was... It feels like every few months there's a cool uh, Warhammer yeah. thing going on. Then they come down to Adepticon, Las Vegas Open, Nova Open, yeah, and show off some stuff. So there's always like a nice big reveal every few months. But, yeah, I mean, it but, feels like three months ago that they were releasing Valdor and Dorn and just everything for Necromunda. And it's like... It, actually, honestly, it feels like less than three months ago because I think we just started to get those things like in the web store, right? Yeah, I, was it was Titanicus mentioned in the last Heresy Weekender? I can't remember, or was it the Warhammer Week? I so, so Titanicus, like uh, on an official capacity, has been mentioned for a little over a year now. I think um, there was a big build up. And it was supposed to go uh, last year, I think last February, something like that. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, Blood Bowl got in the way. Uh, and by that, I mean Blood Bowl was so insanely popular that instead of releasing Adeptus Titanicus as a Forge World only sort of game, uh, GW said, fuck it, screw it. I don't know what I can say on a podcast. Um, <laughs> whatever you'd like. Fuck it, then. We're all we're all adults here. Um, we're gonna have to beep that out though later. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> just just for you. Up. Jesus, sorry. <laughs> um, so they decided we're we're gonna put the whole thing on hold. Just put everything on. Bring Titanicus to a screeching stop. Like they've had the rules done since at least that long ago, um, and send everything back and get it re-sculpted digitally. Uh, to work in plastic instead of resin. Um, I think there was more than just that, though, Austin. I think it was they wanted to have the files scalable so they could they could produce it in both plastic and resin for 28 millimeter and Titanicus scale, which I think is closer to eight millimeter. But. Yeah, Titanicus is coming out in eight millimeter, um, which unfortunately for 
us poor guys that have original six millimeter titans, they are not slightly like, off scale. You cannot use them. I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want, um, but they will look real dinky next to their official Adeptus Titanicus, the Horus Heresy models. Uh, from just looking at the pictures, it looks like the knights are only ever so slightly smaller than my Forge World Warhounds. If if that, they might even be stand pretty much the same size. Um, and the Warlord is two or three times the size of my my Warlord. Yeah. Um, but everything about it seems amazing. And it was actually kind of funny because last year, I don't know if you guys remember, but they had like that weird, all the Titan related, like black library books came out and all that sort of stuff happened. Mm -hmm. That was because they, that's when Titanicus was supposed to come out. They didn't bother delaying any of the rest of the stuff. Um, But it's out. It looks amazing. The, the box set uh, has the main rule book, which you can buy the rule box separately, which I like a lot. Of course. Uh, two Warlord Titans, six Knights, uh, and buildings. And the buildings are phenomenal. And if they anybody... Look, they do look pretty awesome. Yeah, if any of you play Epic, uh, oh, yeah. I don't think the buildings will look bad at all against six-millimeter models. Yeah. And um, the buildings they'll just look a little more gothic. So what was that? So the buildings are coming separate in a box as well, too. Yeah, so there'll be a couple of different box sets uh, for buildings. Um, and then I've heard some people like freaking out on the internet the, because uh, they only had Warhound or Warlords, Reavers, and Knights like on display to look at mm-hmm. this weekend. They're having Knights. They're going to be out with everything <laughs> else. Um, from what I gather, they were the last models to be like kind of in the line to get redesigned. Uh, right. So they just weren't done yet, but they will be out for release. Nobody panic. I will say um, I was kind of surprised that um I think there was one box that I think was called the Grand Master Edition. Yeah, it was the two warlords. That's got two, everything. No, it has two warlords and six knights. I'm surprised it doesn't come with like a warhound or a few reavers or something. But it felt like it was a very polarized right. box. It on the bottom it said two warlords and six knights and terrain. So I was kind of surprised at that. Does yeah, it is an interesting rules? box set. It does come with the rules yeah, uh, okay. and the and the terrain. Um, whether it's actual like the same sort of terrain you get in the modular building set or the old like kind of cardboard building sort of thing, I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, like they could be two different things. Like you can get the box set of terrain with the cool 3D, or with this box set might come with the cardstock. Yeah, I kind mean, of like I, what they've been kind of like what they've been having in the newer 40k. Learn to play box. Yeah, it could be something like that. Uh, I don't know, uh, and I don't know the price point, so I can't even really speculate. Sure. Um, sure. But I'm guessing that having warlords and knights, as opposed to warlords with other titans, is to keep the price point down. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a in a starter set, you want everybody to have like a couple of toys to play with, and if you tried having everything be titans, and you want like a warlord to be like your flagship model. It would be real pricey if you start throwing in multiple Titans. Cause well, look at the these things. things. Kind of like how they do Betrayal at Kalth, where the armies are kind of uneven in some way, but like have one mm-hmm. Warlord, two Reavers, two Warhounds, and a couple of I don't know. It's just me uh, just 
spitting shit. Yeah, it is interesting that they didn't even try to, like, tilt it one way or the other. Yeah, like Um, one warhound and, like, a... What, like, one warlord, a few warhounds versus a couple reavers and knights, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say, though, just this is me spitballing here. So we know that it's coming out. Uh, We know it's coming out in August. It's Horus Heresy only to start with. Um... Obviously, in my mind, that means if this succeeds at all, which it looks like it's going to in a big way, uh, they'll probably expand it to, like, Orcs and Eldar, and then maybe sort of more 40k it. Because uh, right. Eldar and Orcs, you can obviously shove them in a 30k setting, no problem. But the most oh, yeah. interesting thing to me is if you look at the buildings, if you look at the buildings, you'll see on the tops, the roofs are lipped a little bit, mm-hmm. and they're very flat. Like, there's not, like, in some of the really flat, big buildings. Yeah. Um, and that, in my That's mind, you put your stormbirds on. It's a really good sign for, like, epic proper. Oh, yeah. Because if yeah, you want to sure. shove little men in the buildings, you want to just put the model on top. So, yeah. buy a lot of Titanicus. Hopefully the game's really good. I've heard good things about the gameplay. Uh, and so we'll awesome. have a glorious epic back. But before we talk about like the rebirth of specialist games, like and just being specialist games being in like the golden age, full blown again, I do want to make a prediction since every since we're making like we're, we're making some uh, some some eight ball predictions here. You guys remember the old Imperial Armor books? They're not old, but they're like seventh edition Imperial Armor uh-huh, books uh-huh. that had mm-hmm. um, rules for. Battlefleet Gothic, and then rules for Zone Mortalis. Like yeah, in, like in, doing in, linked campaigns and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So my prediction is if we don't see it in Book 8, we're going to see it in Book 9. Because it's Horse Heresy, it's been branded Horse Heresy, and we know that Titans uh, and the Titan Legion Wars played such a big part of the heresy. I think we're going to start to see... Adeptus Titanicus, Horus Heresy, rules in the Black Book. I'm just throwing it out there. You know, I can believe that. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, here probably first. Book 9, just because we haven't heard any rumors about it yeah. in Book 8. Yeah. Um, but that Restart- could also have been the reason for the reshuffling, you know. If book Restarting 8 supposed to be out. Battlefield Gothic, some Dark Angels and Night Lords, Thromus Crusade, bring it, shenanigans. Bringing it all oh, back. Bringing it all back. But guys, I think we're missing a really important point. What Titan Legion are you going to go with? Uh, well, for me, I have my own Titan Legion um, from my days of Epic, and that might be might be making a reappearance. I like it. I'm going to go with uh, Legio Voltorum, straight out of the Zana Forge world. Solid. Very cool. Perfect. Alive. Uh, I'm... My Legio knowledge is kind of slim, but there was one I can't remember the name of at the moment. It's a loyalist faction. They have stars on their plates. They are like, hang on, I want to sound like an idiot here. They're kind of like a blue color. Hang on, I got to do some research. All right. What, uh, what, what Legion are you doing, Dave? I, I think that uh, might be it. Legio Storm? Yeah, I think it's Legio Storm. Um, I'm sorry. I, my Legio is is based off of the uh, the Dan Abnett book Titanicus, so it's Legio Invicta. Um, there's not a lot of background on them other than what Dan wrote, uh, but I mean they're a Titan Legion, so they go back, you know, they go they go back to the very beginning. 
So I'm hoping that we get more background on him, but for right now, that's that's my Titan Legion. Yep. And Dave with the say with the save, yes, Legio is Storm. Nice. And then it's that, that black sun decal on them. Yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty neat. I like that blue and yellow scheme. So Yeah, and that's kind of a ridiculous legion too. Um because I think they're the only one that can actually teleport their Titans places. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, that's am, I, am I wrong on that, uh Jason? Oh, I have no idea. That's crazy. Like so because the like, their their nickname is the Warp Runners. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice dude. Fucking giant teleportariums just beaming beaming titans down to the surface. <laughs> what? Hello. Yeah, that's gotta be a wake up call for some poor bastard like feral world. <laughs> Do you imagine the just the risks involved in that? Just the energy output of like <laughs> teleporting a fucking titan. Couple nuclear that's power insane. plants at the very least. Oh yeah. That, absolutely. That's wild. But yeah, yeah man, I, millions I, of bodies into the furnace. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, so much goodness came out of the weekender. We're we're totally not going to be able to cover it all, but um, we will try. <laughs> we'll we'll give it a we'll, we'll give it the old college try. Uh, Janisha you, Janisha Kroll. Oh yeah, yeah beautiful yeah. model. I think that was oh, the first God, time yeah. that was revealed. Like they showed Scoria a few months ago at the weekender for Horse yeah. Heresy, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think they knocked they knocked uh Genesia Crawl out of the park, man. Absolutely. That's a one gorgeous model. Yeah. And did you guys see that they're gonna uh write rules for uh Talents of the Emperor for forty K? Like they're bringing yep. all that stuff in. Yep, yeah. They're yep. coming out with uh, Imperial Armor, Talons of the Emperor. So That's right. They're gonna Rules. come out that's gonna be the first Imperial Armor that Forge World has done for eighth edition. Mm, no, they, I thought they did a few for the um, for the space. Oh, Marines. I think they did. Yeah, yeah, they did some when they initially came out for space marines. They did some models, but I don't think they've done a Chaos. black like they've done a book yet. No, yeah, they've, they done, did. they've done Imperial armors for the eighth edition, but they haven't done any models <laughs> for it. Well, those, Imper- those Imperial armors were like uh, they were soft cover, and they were yeah. put out to bridge the gap, right? That's true. They were yeah, just, they like, haven't yeah, done yeah. like like the traditional. Here's yeah. your campaign. Here's your couple of batches. Right. And uh, I don't know if this Imperial armor is going to be like that first Imperial armor that they did, which is like just rules and no fluff, just like your data slate, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but if if it's like if it's a legit Imperial armor like Ford World used to do, um, that I mean that'll be significant. Oh, can we also take a moment and uh, celebrate the return of the Dreadnought Drop Pod? Welcome back. We can now fit a contemptor in you. We've missed you, old friend. We've missed you. Yeah, it looks, you know, there's definitely a picture of a contemptor inside of it, but yeah. do you think you could squeeze a, I don't know, Leviathan Le- might be pushing it. Yeah, Leviathan might be a little too big. I don't, we'll have to see. Yeah. Probably. It looked like the contemptor was just barely fitting in there. But it might have been the camera angle. Anyway, man, it's going to change lists. It's going to change lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been waiting a long time to uh bring uh, bring some some pain with my uh my dreadnoughts. We'll see what happens. 
Yeah. Let's see. What oh no, that 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 can, I'm looking at it right now, man. That contempt that contemptor is not taking up very much space at all. No, I think you could I think you could a Leviathan in there. Maybe I was looking at a weird picture then. Let's see. Yeah, there's plenty of room in there. That's yeah, that's a that's a big pod. We'll see. That might just be the 3D render, but we'll see when we get like a a true like a resin cast. But uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's pretty, man. Pretty. Uh, what else came out? Oh, oh, the Carnadon tank. How fun does that look? <laughs> Slapping on top of the Aurochs, we got a little Predator cannon. And uh, and Sponsons. And Sponsons. I think your Sponson last cannon. So, yeah, it's like a Predator knockoff. Yeah, the, um, the poor man's Predator. Well, rich man if you're you know, from Forge World. But you know. <laughs> well, you know, the, the normal human's Predator. That's right. Um, but I'm actually really excited about this. That makes me very happy. I, uh, for those of you that don't remember, kind of don't like the transport version. <laughs> um, may have said some harsh things about it. Um, but I love this tank. I love the look of it. Um, I really hope we get rules for it and it comes out soon. Uh, and hopefully it's not abominably expensive because I feel like I want three. <laughs> really you're gonna you're going three what do you think well, it's gonna take up is what 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 slots it gonna take up it'll be for imperial militia i would bet heavy support um and i bet you can take like obviously you can probably squadron them yeah so one, um, yeah so that would be three twin link las cannons and six sponsored las cannons and uh like even militia will hit somebody with that amount of less last game. <laughs> if militia gets it, a militia will get it. This is this is very <laughs> much a like shitty second rank tank. Uh, and if militia are known for anything, it's getting everyone else's hand me downs and things nobody else is stupid enough to use. Yeah. Slightly off topic here for horse heresy. I don't. My age of Sigmar knowledge is super low. Even worse than the Titan Legions, but the Sea Elf diorama at the Warhammer Fest. Did you guys see that? It's a uh, where they're fighting like orcs coming out of the yeah, waves. They're coming out of the waves. It is probably one of the most beautiful dioramas I've seen them have. It yeah, looks just amazing. The water effects on that are amazing. Yeah, I'm just staring uh, at it right now. And even if you so don't cool. don't like Age of Sigmar, think the whole thing is a money trap and a joke. Uh, go look at that <laughs> just for like to bask in the amazingness that was whoever did the water effects on that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Guys, wait. I have a quick question. Though. Yeah. So I understand that diorama was badass, and the soggy elves are. There's some pretty cool like bits in there for conversions, nothing else. Mm-hmm. But I'm really curious. A lot of the terrain they've released with them. There's like an undersea galleon that's wrecked. How are, I can get like elves coming out of the water to fight orcs, but how are other races going underwater to fight the soggy elves? Like, how are you (laughs) ever going to have an opportunity to use that? (laughs) It's like underwater. Is it underwater or is it like kind of like a shipwreck on the side of a beach? I don't know. It is shown directly underwater. So. And again, I don't know a lot about Age of Sigmar fluff, but I have been reading into these sea elves uh, a bit. Um, 
and they have some sort of magic that essentially <laughs> tricks everything, like the little fishies that are with them, including themselves, into thinking they're still underwater. Um, so maybe the shipwreck is tricked into being underwater and just gets like dragged with them from place to place. I don't know. That's I, that's my I thought. The same it's question. It's magic. I, I ain't gotta explain shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's also a billion dollars, and uh, if you want cool undersea terrain, cool. Does Petco have you covered? Exactly. <laughs> like that's a better option. Yep, and you can just reprime it, however, whatever color you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else was there? Oh, the the new land speeder that came out. Hey, um, I can't imagine anybody who joined up after like third edition will be super into it. Um, but the nostalgia factor is pretty strong with it. It's hilarious looking. Um, I won't be getting one, but it's Jason? Fine lawn chairs. Right? And I will make fun of this thing all day, but I am 100% getting it. Oh, that so makes it, me so happy. So it's called the Proteus Pattern Landspeeder. Yes. Are there rules right now for the Proteus Pattern Landspeeder? I think it's like the... Um, the heavy weapons squads, how they're like two or three different kind of models of weapons, like the Calibrax pattern autocannon. I think it's really just an aesthetic kind of thing, like a Mars pattern land raider. Do you think yeah. so? Yeah. At, at least for now, because if you look at the weapons loadout, yeah. I don't think the weapons they're advertising is that, anything like out of the ordinary. That armor has to be nine all around. Well, no, because see, this is harkening <laughs> back to the old days. Because um, I remember my like third edition Space Marine Codex, it specifically stated that power armor, like, is of the same quality as light tank armor, and that's why, like, Space Marine Rhinos uh, and Speeders don't count as open topped, because power armor is just as good. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. why you can kill a guy in power <laughs> armor with a bolter more easily than destroy a AV-10 tank? I don't know. So um, I'm, I'm looking at the weapons loadout right now, and I see uh, plasma cannon, uh-huh. right? Uh, heavy bolter, uh, some kind of fucking missile launcher. Don't know what that would be. Um, something like a uh, probably a Volkite or whatever. Uh, what's the Volkite? The big one? Yeah, Volkite Colburn of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Uh, multi Malta. And then I don't know what that is. It's like a tiny little grab gun. It looks like a tiny little grab gun. Yeah. Is that something you can stick on a land speeder currently? Yes. Uh, Graviton guns, yes. They can be land speeders. Yeah, and then you got the the hunter killer missile like off to the side. I assume on either side. So I don't think it's anything fancy, but you think it's just gonna be an as is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I take it back. Um, it might get a little rules because, like, a javelin has slightly different rules from a regular land speeder. Um, so this might be a quote-unquote like light version to the javelin's heavy. Not quite sure how you do that rules-wise, but yeah. never say never. So yeah. quickly back to the uh, the sea elves, or I'm sorry, the Ideneth Deepkin, the Etheric. You are you are. I'm, I'm giving this podcast a bad <laughs> reputation right now. Blue shipwreck. <laughs> Ivanf Deepkin go to war. They bring their supernatural sea with them. 
Boom. Creatures, fish, and corals flicker into oh existence. Oh, my God. While features of the seabed manifest themselves eerily on the battlefield. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. They look awesome, but what? Okay. All right. I'm done talking about sea elves. Wait, wait no. You can't say goofy shit like that and not talk about how <laughs> to see like those eel riders or something just like flying through the air like completely out of context <laughs> that's hilarious and it it needs to be spoken upon yeah just uh man that's a little too much even for my suspension of disbelief but yeah i i was super rough. looking forward to them being kind of cthulhu-y good fodder yeah. for militia cult hordes but uh, it's Soggy Elves. What are you going to do? Oh, fun <laughs> fact. Their leader is named Eidolon. Well, wow. that's unsurprising. Eidolon of Mathlan. Not Eidolon Mathland. being the worst. <laughs> As you will find out today, Eidolon is indeed the worst. Oh, boy. Soggy and Elves. what a great segue. What a great segue. If we got anything else to talk about at Warhammer Fest, I'm done talking about Sea Elves. Yeah, um, one one last thing. Um, more 40 k, 30K related than Sea Elves. First Sisters of Battle model yes. was leaked. Mm. Yeah. Um, based on that awesome, like, iconic drawing of a Sister of Battle. Uh, don't particularly like the face, but kind of sold on everything else. Well, it's a 3D rendering, so there's still plenty yeah. of time. So, like, they'll, like they'll, they'll yeah. get a little bit of a messing with. Um. Yeah, I go back and forth on the boob armor with Sisters of Battle nowadays, like, as somebody who pretends to be an adult most of the time. <laughs> um, there are just so many better ways to do armor than that. But it's also kind of iconic, so... Yeah, it's, it's kind of signature uh, Sisters Yeah, like, I, I hope they tone it down a little bit. Uh, the new sisters, to, to other we, stuff that's out there, it's pretty toned down. Yeah. I mean, she's not even wearing high heels. Let's get real. But thank you, new sister of silence. <laughs> Maybe she's a cavalry woman, all right? If you're on a horse and have need to stick your shoes in stirrups, that's why we have high heels. Heels to the eye socket. So I'm just going to review the um, the major kit, like confirms from book eight. So, so, all right. So we know that Demons of the Ruin Storm are going to be a full faction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know that Demonology will probably get blown out uh, in terms of uh, psychic powers, which are potentially which potentially interesting, right? See if we get some new psychic powers out of that. Yeah. Um, rules for Psyarchana Relics. Not sure what that'll do, but something to do with the psychic phase, I'm sure. Um... Everyone's going to get a campaign system, so the White Scars and the Blood Angels will both get campaign systems for Cygnus and Chondax. Good for them. Good for them. Pretty far, pretty fucking cool. And I think that's pretty much it. I think we knew everything else that was uh, going to happen. So that the uh, the Space Wolves are going to get a little little add on. Austin, <laughs> any speculation on what that's going to be? Uh well, that's actually kind of news to me. So really? uh, my initial thought would that it that it would be the watch packs. Yep, hundred percent. Like that's um, I, it hasn't been confirmed, but that's what I'm going for. My my guess would that there'll be uh, like agents of Malkador or whatever the the rule is that lets you take you know like a 
uh, Garrow into your Imperial Army or something like that. Uh, um, so maybe you can bring like a squad of Space Wolves that are just all friggin' badasses um, with your maybe like Pride of the Legion list or something like that, uh, which would be cool. Yeah, sure. without having to take an allied list, you could actually just yeah. add in. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not not an HQ squad. Maybe just like Gray Slayers with a little bit better weapon skill or something. Uh, just solid. to make sure that you lesser <laughs> legions don't screw it up again. <laughs> the uh, the artwork in here on the Blood Angels. I mean, we knew the Blood Angels were going to be like you know over the top, but I I mean it's just gorgeous. I can't wait to see what the uh, the decals uh, are that release for the Blood Angels. I think they're just going to be fucking amazing. So. Necromunda got some cool shit. Oh, yeah. Plenty yep. of upgrades for yep. all sorts of different gangs. Yep. Yeah. And uh, also, God help us, back to Age of Sigmar. So they've got the new ghost guys. They look cool. They're exciting. I have no use for them in 30K yet, but I might try to figure something out. But they previewed two new technical paints that seem amazing. Um, they're friggin' hold on one second. So Night Haunt Gloom and quote Hex Wraith Flame. And it looks like what these are is you prime your model white, and then we've all seen like GW Spirit Hosts and like ghostly sort of models. Yeah, with a wash. Yeah, this is just well no, those aren't those aren't washes. This appears to be a like you put this technical paint on top, and suddenly it looks like those friggin' eight step uh, spirit hosts. Hmm. Uh, cool. And it comes out in a blue and a green. And I can see some awesome thoughts on this for like 30k awesome. models or yeah. like you know poisonous gas clouds, all sorts of cool stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, and I am a horrible slacker when it comes to painting. Like I think my stuff looks okay, but I'm not the type of guy to spend six hours on a model. Uh, so any cheating product that can make my life easier, I'm all about. Oh, yes. Good stuff. All right. Well, with all that being said, everybody got their fill of uh, Warhammer Fest this weekend? Oh, Orc Cheerleader. Oh. That's my no, final statement. Just now. Orc Cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Blood Bowl. Amazing. Yeah. At least they don't have the pasties like they do in the video game. Yet. <laughs> we only previewed one. Oh, boy. Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll wrap this segment up. And coming up next, what you've all been waiting for, part three of Horace Heresy Grad School, Istvan 3. Coming up next. If you want to still talk about oh, Battlefleet oh. Heresy or Battlefleet Gothic, please go right ahead. Because... <laughs> Yeah, I will say that I'm going to have to bail once we get to Horacy Grad School because one, I'm not used to Horacy Grad School too. Heresy Grad. I think school. we've all said it at one point or another. See, it's all about Horace, really. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell the emperor I said that. <laughs> the Horacy. But yeah, uh, if we if we want to do some more uh, Battlefleet Heresy or something, I'd be happy to talk about it. Absolutely, Grad School. I will call it a night. I think that's uh, what we are planning to run into right now. If I think that's what the docket was. But if you want to talk about something right. else. We... Then uh, Godspeed to you all. All right. And I will talk to you all later. 
Well, thank you, Austin. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, we'll have you again. It was fun. Yeah. Been a blast. We'll have you back soon. Inshallah. All right. What everybody's been waiting for. Heresy Grad School, Istvan 3, Part 3, with Jason and Dave. So you guys can just start whenever. I don't care. I mean, I was waiting for Jason. That's true. And it doesn't look like Jason's here at the moment. So, anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> lost there he is. There is. There is. And what? I swear to God, <laughs> I only like when I start talking. <laughs> it's good. It's good, Jason. We're here like, for you, oh, man. I'll exhibit <laughs> polite, you know, airwave etiquette, mute. And I was fucking talking to Austin for like five minutes. <laughs> were, were you not? Was he just saying the right things to you? continue your conversation yeah a little That's bit fucking <laughs> weird dude <laughs> Fantastic. That's awesome. nice going. right on. so i had wasted my cool intro so oh, yeah. with no further ado jason and dave let's kick it off all right guys so let's talk the tail end of istvan 3 so important thing to keep in mind here uh Horus fucked up real big uh, in a bunch of different ways, but the most important of which is this orbital bombardment, the whole virus bombing, was supposed to solve his problem more or less bloodlessly and almost from day one. And it has dragged on for two months now. We are a solid two months in. And Horus thought this was going to be like a one-day operation, all these loyalists he wanted to get rid of would drop in. He'd wipe them out. Problem solved. He could scoot on over to Isfahan 5 and keep this train rolling. But two months in, all this virus bombardment did, didn't even manage to kill a third of the loyalists on the ground that he wanted to get rid of. So all of these guys are dug in. They essentially created the perfect landscape for a guerrilla defensive war to go on. Isfahan 3, there's ruins everywhere. They can't do a whole lot to root out these loyalist uh, pockets of resistance because the second they do and send in any concerted forces, they scatter through the catacombs, they scatter through the ruins. It's almost impossible to pin these guys down. Uh, the Presenter's Palace is the only real definitive uh, point of resistance that's not really super mobile, and that's causing a huge problem. But uh, possibly the biggest problem, the biggest mistake a uh, horse as like an overall commander has made to date is uh, shooting down this auto reductor uh, vehicle that had just been attached. And uh, you'll remember from last time. Uh, this was from the Ordo Reductor Galatas, uh, a single, ve uh, not vehicle, a single spacecraft called the Xerxes 977. Uh, shot it down at great cost to the trader vessels attacking it. It burned up in orbit. That's over with. Everybody breathes the collective sigh of relief on the trader side. However, does not go that quietly because... Uh, this is where one of my personal favorite characters come in. If I had to pick a favorite loyalist, there are not a whole lot of them I like, but Caleb Decima, definitely one of them. 
So <clears throat> to set the scene a little bit, we're about five, six kilometers north of the starport uh, that's right beside the presenter's palace. And uh, kind of unseen and undetected by everyone, because you know, pretty much everybody up there is dead. And there's a, a god-awful like, city-wide storm going on. Uh, what's said to be a great brazen orb is slowly tearing itself free of the Earth. And hours after it emerges from the uh, crust of the planet, like an inverted clockwork flower with bladed bronze petals, uh, <clears throat> this is Caleb Decima's auto-reductor siege crucible, uh, launched during the dying moments of Xerxes 977. Now, fun fact, uh, Xerxes backwards is sex rex. So, <laughs> Marvelous. But, uh, that's something you need to know. <laughs> what? Where are you going with that? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, Caleb Decima is amazing, and his personal vessel was called the Xerxes. Are you are you implying that Caleb Decima was a closet uh, player, sex maniac? Just not that. implying, flat out stated. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, now. Uh, important bit of discussion we have to have here. Uh, Auto-reductor siege crucible. What is this thing? Uh, they mention it's, it buries itself in the surface like a bullet instead of breaking up on impact like a uh, Space Marine drop pod would do. And it's built like a drop pod, but it's much larger and more heavily armored. Um, and it carries Decima and his whole bodyguard cohort of Thalax. Now, to me, it sounds almost like kind of a combination of like a Charybdis, one of those giant drop pods, with like almost like subterranean termite capabilities. Dave, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so uh, so we were talking about this a little bit um, earlier on, and like 100%. So we know that a lot of what the Mechanicum Forge worlds, where they were founded and the environments they were in, uh, were not hospitable to life on the surface. And the Mechanicum, even on Mars, they have a lot of their forge foundries and factories underground. So it makes sense that they would design a sort of a ground penetrating, um, you know, drop pod so that it, it, it pierces the surface and then it deploys uh, probably from the bottom down into some, you know, subterranean cavern. But as a that fucking escape vessel, man. You know, going down into uh, to Istvan three, it it was it was the perfect survival craft, right? Because Decima, his uh, Thalax cohort, his uh, he had some uh, acolytes with him. I think um, we don't know exactly how many, but uh, I mean they all survived. So yeah, this thing was definitely bigger than a Charybdis. Definitely more heavily armored, and uh, yeah, I, I, dude, how cool would it be to to get some rules for it? And I mean, come on, it's called a siege crucible. <laughs> if that's not like the most mechanicum as fuck thing to exist in this book, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so Decima. Uh, clawing their way out of the rubble north of that starport a uh, little farther south. <clears throat> this is the little mini section called the Trader's Dawn. And like I said when we started out, 
we're about two full solar months into this siege. And the god-awful storms kicked up by the planetary bombardment start to abate. And this is a huge deal because just like way, way back on murder, where they had like planet-wide storms going constantly that made landing uh, new troops and munitions almost impossible, kind of the same thing going on here. The traders can only very intermittently drop reinforcements and munitions to their guys on the ground where the Loyalists are playing a guerrilla war more or less all on their terms. So the death toll is actually pretty stiffly uh, in the direction of the Loyalists right now. Uh, maybe about 20,000 Loyalists and almost twice that on the trader side. So it is not going so hot for what would have been a really easy one-and-done operation for uh, Horace's plans here. So the presenter's palace is still held by the loyalist emperor's children. Uh, they've been holding off Eidolon and now just random roving mobs of world leaders for two months now. Uh, world leaders are causing problems for pretty much everyone. They're like hopping out of the ruins, attacking Eidolon's flanks and hopping back in and disappearing with munitions and armor and stuff. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, Loken and his lunar wolves, they're still holding that labyrinth down in the siren hold. That's pretty much a stalemate. Uh, the one thing where it is going pretty bad for loyalists is in the northwest, and that's where Mortarian is really starting to close down a vice on the loyalist resistance. He's kind of making an example of in a way that a lot of the others can't. Uh, it's, uh, He's suffered a single setback, and this is kind of a big deal. Uh, the Death Guard refer to it as the Veil of Grief. It's where, for five hours, some of the quote-unquote traitors that were hanging out with Mortarian actually go rogue. And these guys are crewing massive columns of siege equipment and tanks. So when they decide, hey... Maybe Dad has a bad idea. He doesn't know what's going on now. Uh, they actually turn their guns on traitor. They, uh, well, are essentially traitors to the traitor cause. And they turn their guns on Angron's world leaders and Mortarian's death guard. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Veil of Grief. And it's basically uh, point-blank firefights with siege artillery firing into, you know, traitor world leaders and uh, Death Guard at almost point blank. This Nuts. is actually two where uh, Crisis Mortar, his destroyer squad, kind of makes a name for itself. Uh, they managed to kill the Master of Ordnance for the entire Legion, a guy named Durek Rask. And he's kind of the counterpoint to Mortar in that he was a fanatical supporter of Mortarian the entire way up the chain, where. Uh, Crisis Mortar never really fit in. Uh, you know, Mortarian has that huge hate boner for uh, any sort of psyker. So, never really been on Mortarian's good side. But Durek Rask and his entire command squad get annihilated by Crisis Mortar's destroyer cadre before they disappear into the ruins again. And Mortarian himself actually takes uh, a Predator plasma cannon, like, straight in the face from one of his uh, turncoat sons before uh, he and his death shroud hack it to bits. And uh, 
he actually has to order a temporary withdrawal to allow everybody to regroup, and that gives the first small reprieve the Loyalist Death Guard have had to this point. Um, and this pisses off Mortarian. I mean, they essentially forced him to withdraw long enough to get his shit together and get back to work. So these poor bastard Loyalist Death Guard in the Northwest are the first to catch the full brunt of it when these uh, planet-wide storms start to abate enough that the traders can start landing more reinforcements and munitions. So Mortarian does not fuck around at all. Um, the Loyalists have some salvaged armor. They have like some old garrison Malkadors, some basilisks, and these little bunkers uh, in the complexes they've taken over. But Mortarian pulls zero punches. Uh, he starts dropping entire squadrons of, like, Fellblades, uh, Typhons, uh, Land Raiders in this armored column to annihilate them. And now that the storms have abated, Legio Mortis can actually start coming back in to reinforce everyone. Because uh, everybody knows giant war engines are pretty delicate and they can't operate when it's raining outside. <laughs> that was weird. Like the whole, it, it must have been messing with their aspects or you know their targeting system. Yeah, or, or just have a hell yeah. of a union contract, one or the other. Well, yeah. yes, that's one of the reasons they gave was they didn't want to take uh, Titans uh, unsupported without good aspects readings into the ruins because it was the perfect place for an ambush, and. Right. Apparently they didn't lose any Titans, but also Legio Mortis and Audax weren't doing a whole lot during the entire two months. So Oh, there was there was some shit going down on DS for sure. Oh yeah, that was true. Going back to what was it, Galaxy Burns, the uh the third yeah, book Galaxy Galaxy yeah. Flames, yeah. yeah. That's Yeah, that the Loyalists almost had a big fucking uh boost to their uh, their war line. I mean that that would have gone interestingly, but uh, but yeah, if you if you read Galaxy and Flames, the uh, there's an interesting side story that takes place in the command. Uh, I don't know what do you call it. Command pulpit. Yeah, <laughs> the head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right there, and uh, yeah, DSRA man, gotta read it. Good stuff. So. Um, Mortarian launches his final assault. He is absolutely done with this bullshit. He's got this massive armored column washing over everything. He has all of his traitors' uh, death guard down from orbit. They're just shoulder to shoulder, waves of bolter fire. The Loyalist death guard have more or less nothing left. They've been viced between Angron and Mortarian for two months, and they fell out this long. But Mortarian's done with it. Uh, the Loyalists, their bolters are running down to the absolute last magazines they've got. And when that's over, they start uh, tr booby-trapping these bunker complexes and retreating down into uh, the catacombs beneath them. And uh, even here, Mortarian is not fucking around. Uh, the Death Guard are hauling out all the nasty old-school weapons they have. They're dropping vortex charges. They've got breach drills all going through the lower reaches of these subsurface defense tunnels. And at the very end, clearing up the very last of the traitors, 
Uh, it says Mortarian himself comes for them in the darkness. It's very dramatic. And uh, that is definitely not something you want to see just like popping around the corner of like a creepy ass catacomb tunnel is a Mortarian looming out of the shadows. At. <laughs> definitely uh, not. More or less, the only Loyalist Death Guard to get out of that, we can assume, are uh, Crisis Morturg and his destroyer cadre. Yeah. Yeah, because we're, what, two months in? I mean, this is like, we're days away from the final, you know, bombardment, the withdrawal of, like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so, yeah, these guys, these their days are numbered, for sure. All right. So that brings us to official part three here on page 56. It's called Extermination. <laughs> so at this point, there is no... The Loyalists already kind of knew there was no winning. There was probably not even going to be any walking away from this. But it's gotten to the point that there's barely even uh, any sort of that victory is vengeance, you know, glorious last stand thing going on. This has gone from a one-sided guerrilla war to an out-and-out manhunt extermination for the traitors. And uh, it's gotten to the point uh, Horace kind of follows uh, Mortarian's example. Uh, he sends a full 30 companies uh, led by Ezekiel Abaddon and his Justerin to the southwest Siren Hole. Uh, solid lines of Spartans, land raiders, everything, just methodically crushing every one of these temple complexes, every one of the hastily erected barricades that Loken and his buddies have thrown up. They are just block by block knocking these things over. And uh, what's uh, even bigger is a problem. Uh, orbital landers are starting to bring down fresh Titan maniples from Mortis and Audax. And they've already had two full maniples from Mortis, about a dozen warhounds from Audax on planet. Now even more are coming. But an uh, interesting little part here, uh, more landers are coming in that don't fit the specs of any of the Space Marine drop craft. Uh, got black insectile gunships. Uh, first off, are the newest uh, addition kind of to Horace's whole menagerie of evil villainy are the Dark Mechanics. Uh, they've got like massive multi-headed automata that are said to even dwarf Astartes dreadnoughts. But two, a couple of his buddies from back on Davin are flying in uh, with these civilian lighters. Uh, they said their hulls are bedecked with human body parts daubed in strange symbols traced in blood. Oh, fantastic. Right? Does that not paint like a very lovely Sunday afternoon picture? <laughs> so these are the Davenite witch priests. These are the guys that are maybe even more founders of the heresy than Erebus himself, because Erebus learns from Davenite witch priests. Yep. And these are the guys that once Hor uh, Horace himself was actually wounded by, um, what's his, uh, Timber who had been, uh, you know, transmogrified into a great unclean one. And the kind of last-ditch effort to save Horace's life was to take him back to this temple on Davin. These are the guys that essentially turned Horace. Yeah, and they killed Erebus the first time. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, there's hate that asshole. Erebus has been killed, like, so it's fucking... It's like the star screen of the Horace heresy. It really is.
truly such is. A, such a dick. But, so this gives even more advantage to the traders because um, pretty much every casualty now is a permanent loss that the loyalists really can't afford. Comparatively, the traders have near limitless resources from this fleet in orbit, and they've got a massive advantage in Titan port. So, right now, uh, ash storms are still like blotting out the sun, it's making the temperature plummet, and the Titans are now moving decisively towards the presenter's palace, and they are taking zero chances. The second they encounter anything that even looks like Loyalist resistance, they will annihilate it, and the five city blocks are surrounded. Uh, Horus is essentially pushing them to get this shit done and over with as quickly as possible. Uh, they have entire wings of Avenger strike fighters and Thunderhawk gunships that are doing pretty much the same thing. Uh, annihilating Loyalist strongholds is the second they're detected. And you've got Sons of Horus, Death Guard, and World Leaders kind of fanning out in this huge crescent uh, from where they broke in the city walls uh, near the original landing grounds. And uh, what's uh, pretty much their main objective is to just push every bit of Loyalist resistance out of their hidey holes and into the light to be annihilated by something bigger than And they start with the presenter's palace. Now, this is hilarious because Eidlon, this poor dumb asshole, has been outside of the presenter's palace this entire time. Uh, it was Saul Tarvitz that warned everybody in the first place. It kind of, you know, screwed up Horace's plan in the main and uh, got everybody underground so less the third you know, the casualties he wanted caused were done. So Eidolon has been camped outside the presenter's palace constantly just getting his, like, nuts kicked up through his throat by, you've got ancient Rylanor holed up in there, you've got Saul Tarvitz, and Horace is done with uh, poodling around with Eidolon's uh, tomfoolery now. So this entire column of Titan is headed straight for the presenter's palace, and they give Eidolon a single Warhorn's blast <laughs> worth of warning before they just open up with every volcano cannon, turbo laser, missile pack they have, and blow pretty much the entire presenter's palace into its opponent atom. Uh, they are done with it. And as soon as they blow, the walls are blasted open, the presenter's dome has been annihilated, uh, Angron orders the world leaders that are with him in through that gap to start cleansing pretty much everything. Uh, at the same time, down in the south, uh, you've got the Siren Hold, and uh, Abaddon is chasing down Logan. Because at this point, Horus has pretty much told him to come back uh, victorious or not to come back at all. And they've got so many reinforcements now that they can fall back on those encirclement tactics that Logan was kind of thwarting up to this point. There are just so many of them, they can't get around it now. So you have uh, gunships are dropping off assault marines on top of spires where Luna Wolves have been uh, set up with sniper teams, heavy weapons and things, pushing them out. And like we said before, land raiders and Spartans are just plowing through block by block 
annihilating the siren hold at one section at a time. Uh, and Abaddon is also right up front. Uh, the Justaren are leading this entire charge with their uh, black and bronze land raiders uh, crashing through loyalist armored positions and just dumping Justaren into them. And uh, the entire siren hold is actually stormed in under an hour, but uh, because he was pushing forward so fast, he kind of leaves a lot of back doors open. And Plenty of Luna Wolves kind of get out and around them and scatter. And it says uh, several hundred of them actually managed to escape even this. So completely frustrated, uh, Abdon kind of turns to the new Dark Mechanicum, Davonites, to hunt down some of these Luna Wolves for fleeing. Uh, the Dark Mechanicum, having exactly no chill, uh, they just start upending canisters of phosphax, like into the domes <laughs> under the ruins. Like they're. There are measured responses, and the Mechanicum instantly takes, like, you know, option 11 and <laughs> floods the catacombs underneath uh, with phosphax. Uh, the witch priests actually start using blood magic to uh, hunt down survivors one by one and pick them off. And uh, like we said before, there's really no loyalist resistance left. It's really just turned into a battle uh, from a battle into just a manhunt for survivors. And the biggest thing to remember right here is this is way, way more time and effort than Horus wants to spend. Um, it's this entire extermination is super costly. And while there are still survivors around, Horus is done with it. Uh, a total extermination is probably too costly in time and effort and resources he's already expended, again, way more than he wanted to. Another big push uh, that comes is Holgrim finally shows up, uh, his tardy ass, two months later. And uh, if you've read through pretty um, some of the Black Books, you know, at this point, uh, Fulgrim has essentially asked Ferris Manus to turn to Horus' side. Uh, Ferris tells him to sit and spin. Uh, Fulgrim comes back with uh, pretty much the entirety of the Iron Hands Legion on his ass because uh, Ferris is not taking this sitting down, and he's dragging the Salamanders and a lot of the Raven Guard elements along with him because uh, he knows what the deal is now. Uh, because of Fulgrim. And Horus has another big problem now because Ferris knows he's a traitor and he's steaming straight for him and time's kind of working against him. So he orders Fulgrim and Mortarian to retrieve Angron no matter what it takes. And in kind of like a last act of spiteful vengeance uh, fit in from a ship called the Vengeful Spirit, uh, Horus annihilates more or less all of the Coral City uh, with lance strikes before they withdraw to head to Istvan 5. And at this point, uh, Kalf and Cygnus and Viridian for the uh, Dark Angels are all fully underway, and pretty much everybody is engaged except Ferris and the Salamanders and the Raven Guard steaming full speed towards Horus at the moment. And that is 
the majority of what happened in Istvan 3. Dave, you got any uh, thoughts for us? Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a wrap-up, man. Uh, this has been super fun to do, guys. Like, we definitely went down the rabbit hole on uh, this one, and uh, I think it really complements the Black Library lore, uh, Galaxy in Flames, and uh, Flight of the Eisenstein. There's some um, lesser-known, uh, I guess, short stories and some audio books that you guys should definitely check out. Uh, one of the things that we didn't talk about but we will uh, here shortly is how we even know about this. Um, I guess we touched on it a little bit in the last episode with the, uh, the veracity of the testimony, but uh, the testimony itself from crisis Mortorg, um, that is a very special testimony that's being given to the high Lords of Terra. And uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh in uh in a few minutes but i do want to give you guys uh a few notes for further reading because that's what i do um and so if you want to flip to page 93 you will see a beautiful full color plate of the loyalist world eater micah volkov and micah volkov three of uh book one or yeah yeah page 93 of the the horse heresy book one the yeah, betrayal. Loyalist Micah Volkov. He is uh, when you when you listen to the next part of this segment. He he's a he's an important dude. Um, the th- uh, so last episode we talked about the Sunstone. Um, Jason, you remember the Sunstone? That was the uh, the vessel that uh, they world uh, the Emperor's children's but fucked up on taken. Right. It was the first in a long line of uh, EC fuck-ups, like pretty much this entire deal. They are, uh, they're struggling, man. They definitely struggle with, uh, with this on three. Um, but page, uh, page 111, uh, if you want to check that out, Decanus uh, Gryphon Thorn is, uh, he, he is one of the guys that tries to take the Sunstone and uh, epic fail on, uh, on his part. And page 133, another full-color plate and excerpt, the Loyalist Death Guard Legionary, uh, Caleb Moore. You guys uh, check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. I I think that the full-color plates and the little blurbs that they have, there's just so much goodness inside of there. Um, There's so many uh, little Easter eggs and uh, compliments to further reading. Uh, as a as an aside, a full battle maniple. Um, Jason talked about what a full ban- uh, full battle maniple is landing on uh, Istvan three. So I checked it out, and a full battle maniple per Forge World because they sell one for three thousand dollars is a war yeah or three thousand pounds excuse me which is quite a bit more like, than oh, like four thousand dollars <laughs> yeah like freedom bucks <laughs> yes a kidney or two um is a warlord two reavers and two warhounds now that's that's a battle maniple according to forge world if you look at some of the lore they define a battle maniple differently essentially it's any assortment of battle titans which are reavers warlords and above with uh with scouts so if you have any combination of scout titans and battle titans together 
that's a mana pull. Um, so in case you were wondering. So I got guys. It's been fucking awesome. And uh, yes, this yeah. has been an awesome segment to listen to. Do you guys have any ideas of what you want to tackle next for the future? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the immediate thought would be Istvan 5, but I think that'd be an even bigger undertaking. So I think we'll probably have a few smaller little bite-sized one-off episodes first while we uh, kind of ponder on how to tackle that behemoth. Yeah, sounds good. Well, can't wait to what, uh, whatever comes next. And with that, I think we'll take a quick break, and I will be right back. All right, guys, this is Dave. As fine as part of the final uh, wrap up to Istvan Three, we're gonna end with the testimony of Crisis Mortarg, and I just wanted to give you guys one final. Uh, note for further reading and that's from black shield chris rate uh so this whole testimony of crisis mortorg is informed in uh basically the testimony he gives to the lords of terra so the sitting council of the lords of terra and if you read black shield you will see at the very end of that book uh where he ends up going to Terra to give his testimony to the throne. And this is way, way down the road. So don't get me wrong, man. This is not when he he doesn't just uh, pick up from Istvan and, and uh, head to Terra. He's got a long road ahead of him. But if you guys, if you guys like Crisis Mortorg, if you like uh, Istvan 3 and the, the Black Library stuff that we've been doing, uh, I think you'll see him again. With that, Jason, over to you, man. All right, guys. Uh, to wrap up here, what could be better than the final testimony of Crisis Mortar? It had been seven, or maybe even fifteen days since the presenter's palace had fallen. I can't be sure now. My Suzanne membrane was functioning erratically. Owing to the repeated injury, cold and the dark skies made night all but indistinguishable then. In truth, I should not have been alive. None of us should have by then. I had command of 19 of my legion, all fighting wounded, scatterings from a dozen squad. Our last apothecary, Deka, he had been cut in half by a Medusa shell in the last attack that had driven us from our hold fast. Shabran Dar, the world leader, the others called White Eyes, he was with us. Six of his brother berserkers, revengers, they had called themselves. Their armor was burned black and plastered with blood and bone trophies like some madman's nightmare of what a Legionis Astartes might be. But we were glad of glad of their chain axes, too, when the enemy was upon us. We did not want for weapons or battle plate. Decima's clanking brood took care of that. They stacked away supplies, neat and bloody, in the sewer tunnels since the start. Tireless, inhuman things. I know not how many they had killed under the shadow of that storm. Nor even the will to fight. Spite fueled us then, sustained us still. While traitors drew breath, we hungered for their lives. But life and strength were failing us now. We were so very few. We had vowed to make an end of it then, while we still were strong enough to do real damage, an oath of moment to die, and in dying make the traitors bleed. To my surprise, Decima had agreed with me. The logic of war is to consume life and materiel, he had said. All things die. Death is eternal. 
if he still had possessed a face, I believe he might have even smiled. In truth, even his thalax had suffered severe depletion and were in a state much the same as us in their own way. We'd chosen the outer concourse of the starport as the site for our last stand. To draw them in, Decima had his last adepts crew a pair of armored Proteus land raiders and a grab attack, battlefield wrecks he'd repaired to the point of bare functionality. They were to attack a known staging point and feign flight. It was a suicide mission, but the adepts did not say a word. We were granted more than our wish. One Proteus returned to us aflame, and I could not comprehend how it managed pursuit. Came a fellblade super heavy, smashing aside anything in its path, the head of four rhino mounted squads, three in the Sons of Horus Library and one of their Death Guard. Our valiant Proteus slewed to a halt just near where our desperate plan had demanded, and was a moment later kicked up in flame and tumbled across the concourse like an empty food canister as a shell from the fellblade's main cannon took it. We waited as the traitor armored force fanned out in a crescent across the open concourse, Fellblade's turret slowly traversing to cover them. It was joined a few moments later by a Death Guard land raider lumbering on damaged tracks. The position was far from perfect, but Decima must have judged it was as good as he was going to get, triggered the weapon. It looked like a brass star made of twisted clockwork as it rose out of the pit he had concealed it in and went skyward. I know not what it was, perhaps some bastardized bomb made from the teleportation engine of his ship, perhaps something else. There was for a second a flash so bright I could see the bones of my hand through my armored gauntlet. We'd been warned to deactivate our armor beforehand and switch it on after the blast. When my autosense cleared, I saw that half of the fell blade was simply missing as it had been carved away by a knife. One of the sons of Horus Rhino, there was nothing left, a shadow burned into the concourse. The rest had a curious bleached quality to them and had fallen still, save for the land raider. Further back and unscathed, it was reversing in retreat as swift as it was able. Its traders spilled from the dead rhinos like puppets with tangled strings. We rose from our concealed positions and cut down the ones in the open with bolter fire while the world leaders charged in to finish the rest. The thalax smashed up from where they had been buried in the earth to block off the traders' retreat and caught the land raider in the converging arcs of their strange weapons soot-black corpuscent dancing across its hull until its tracks disintegrated and its cannon sponsons detonated. The machine creatures left it for dead, flames spewing from its crew ports. Victory was ours, but triumph lasted only a moment as the furthest group of phalax was blown to pieces, the shell blast exploding amongst them before we heard the report of the cannon that fired it. Another fell blade was smashing through the city towards us, flanked by predator tanks and rhinos, kicking up great clouds of ash in their wake. We scattered to cover again as a squadron of storm eagles came in low across the concourse, shattering the area with missiles, not caring if any of their own were still alive at the ambush site. Soon we were surrounded, scattered and cut off, our trap turned against us, sons of Horus and Death Guard closing in from all sides, shells hammering upon us, bolter fire coming in like waves on the shore. Something heavy caliber, an autocannon perhaps, it took me in the side and powdered my ribs beneath my breastplate, but I would not let myself fall. I fired until my ammunition was gone and reclaimed a weapon from the fallen. I fired again as my comrades died around me. There were so many injured as I was, I couldn't miss. One of Horace's scum with a Volkite in his hand made it past the barricades, and I struck his head from his shoulders with my power blade, not before he'd killed another of us. It was then I saw Shabrindar across the concourse, charging through the storm like a demon of ancient myth. 
his armor unraveling under who knows how many hits. I saw his left arm disappear in a spray of red, and he staggered, but he still reached them even then. He threw themselves into the sons of Horus, his chain axe a bloody arc of steel. The fell blade smashed aside the wreckage of its kin and fired point-blank and threw an eye and a handful of death guard that remained using his cover. I was blown clear, my armor a ruin of shrapnel, and my legs shattered. I lay upon the concourse, struggling to rise, to die on my feet, when a tattered red blur flew over me and ran, spider-like, up the glacis of the fell blade. I doubted my own eyes. It was Decima, and with a multi-flash of steel and red, he was inside the fell blade's turret. Disappearing so fast, I doubted he had been anything but a figment of my dying imagination. I could still hear the Thalax weapons screaming eerily, their bolters thundering, but my conscience was failing. My last memory of the battle was of the Fellblade's yawning cannon maw. But then the turret, turning, and turning away from me. Later, very much later, I think, I recall as if in a dream, being dragged through the ash and bone for so very long, tattered crimson cloak fluttering over me, the cold and the night sky. It was writhing with fire in the distance. I did not know it then, but it was over. Ispan III was finally dead and my legion buried with it. But the hate, the hate remained. That is powerful. Right? That is good. <laughs> That's some amazing writing. Yeah, I'd love to see a Crisis Mortorg Shabran Shattered Legion with an allied Decima Thalax list. If you guys want to do that, fucking, or if you have that and you're just amazing, uh, send us a picture <laughs> and we'll we'll post that shit up because so much potential there. Well, thanks for sharing, Jason. Dave? Yeah, that's been fun, guys. Thanks. It's been an awesome Horse Heresy Grad School Istvan 3. It's been a hell of a journey. <laughs> hey man that's what we're here for very cool alright we're gonna you guys just wanna hit right into a we'll take a quick break real quick and uh, have a little final words and then we'll call it a night alright folks we're back it's uh, just me and Dave at this point had an awesome podcast today. It was a great night. A lot of good, fun stuff. Uh, got any closing remarks, Dave? Yeah, man. Just uh, if you guys like what you're listening to, hit us up on Facebook or uh, send us a message, and uh, we'll definitely let you guys know what we think. If you want to hear something on Heresy Grad School, uh, if you want to want us to cover something. You know, shoot us a message and, and we'll see what we can do. Um, shout out to my favorite uh, bartender at Billiards, Brittany, because <laughs> she makes playing games so much more fun because drinks and, yeah, games. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Again, you can find us here just about every week on Facebook, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and usually wherever you can find podcasts. Um, to reiterate, Dave, if you have any feedback or 
want to know something, just shoot us a message with anything. You guys are smart. You guys are adults. You can figure out how to get in touch with us. Um, so, yeah. And with that, we'll have a good night. Have a good week. And we'll catch you all next time. Take it easy, Later, guys. Thank you.